up, guys? Welcome to chapel. <laughs> All right, so today at 7 p.m. in Spanish Parlor. Oh, you may be seated. So today at 7 p.m. in Spanish Parlor, we have the sock hop dance. So if you don't know, the sock hop is like a 50s themed dance. So if you want to come, have fun, dance a lot, go buck wild, <laughs> go to the sock hop dance. Um, now I'd like to introduce Pastor Andrew Sautel for an additional announcement. Hi, everyone. We wanted to let you know that today, not today, tomorrow is a really special day your place is going to get invaded by about 450 teenagers. How many of you are aware of that? How many of you are stoked about that? That was a mixed reviews. If you don't know Festival of Life is happening, it's coming tomorrow. It's going to be Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And it's basically a sports and music showcase where teenagers from all the way from Virginia to Maine will come onto your campus um, to share the talents that God has given them. And if you haven't, been a ch haven't had the chance to be a part of it, it's actually pretty amazing to watch kids come alongside of each other, to watch kids have a chance um, just to shine in a different space other than their schools. And what we would love for you is for you as the ENC community that we know and we love to come around these students and just love on them. Um, we know it kind of messes up your system a little bit. They're in the cafeteria, they're in the gym, they're all over the place. But they are so excited about being on the campus of Eastern Nazarene College, and they are so excited to be around you guys. Um, as a youth pastor, I know our teens, uh, they're looking for the place they're going to come to college, and they're looking for the place that God is calling them to be, uh, to come to, and what God is calling them to be. And I believe ENC can be that place. Uh, for a lot of us, it's changed our lives, it's changed the trajectory of our lives, and you get to have this awesome privilege of welcoming those teens. And so as you go through this week, I would just remind you, um, if you see teens that look lost, they will. Um, direct them in the right place. Uh, don't misdirect them. Um, if they look like they're just maybe lonely or they're sitting by themselves, uh, reach out to them. Um, introduce yourself. Maybe tell them something you love about this community that's so unique. Um, if you have any free time and you can go over to the gym or come into this space, and just cheer for kids, whether they're good or bad, because you're going to see some of both throughout the week. Just cheer for them and make them feel like this is a place that they can belong. Um, and then if you really get a chance, tell your story. It would be awesome for you to share why God brought you to this place, what God is doing in your life, and how this place um, could be something that might change their life in the future. Uh, we're going to have a lot of juniors and seniors that haven't made college decisions, and uh, we would love to be able to just host them well this week. So from this youth pastor on behalf of all of the other youth pastors on the region, um, thank you for letting us put teens um, in this space, and we just pray that this week you would just come alongside of us and love on them as they're here. Thanks. Thanks, Andrea. Is Pastor Stretch in the building? Yes! <laughs> I think I could count on you. Thank you. Pastor Stretch and I just want to share with you what's going to happen next week. We're doing this together. It's a joint project. It's Spring Awakening, if you haven't seen the signs around campus. Um, Stretch, what are we doing next week? What are we starting with? All right, so next week, we sometimes have things called like revival or renewal around here. This year, we thought 
You know what would be really cool is if we had this like awakening thing where not only our campus but our whole community could be thinking about who doesn't know about the good news that God offers? Who doesn't really enjoy fellowship like we have? Who doesn't know about the good news of salvation? Let's invite them to come and hear some clear explanations, some really clear ways that we can direct those people we've been praying for, those people you're journeying with. Maybe it's your roommate. Maybe it's somebody you know around town that you've been having conversations about your walk with God, and they're still like, yeah, I don't really get it. Let's do that next week. So we got somebody coming. Um, this dude named Richie Griffiths from New York is one of my favorite like humans, not just preachers or partners in ministry. He's one of my favorite human beings. Like just to be in the same room with him brings me great joy. So he's going to be here Thursday night and then Friday chapel. And I'm telling you, this dude is legit. Like you're not going to want to miss that. But you're also going to want to think about who are you bringing to come hear what Richie's going to present. All right? And then, Saturday morning, we are going to, uh, downstairs in the church, or maybe upstairs in the teen room, we're going to have a breakfast together, but we're really going to focus in on, how's our community supposed to be praying? Like, what is God really going to lead us in? And you know, here in the church, and we as Christ followers, our job is to be on our knees in prayer. And we might do that pretty well in our prayer closet by ourselves, but we really have felt the need to pull together other churches, uh, other, other ministries, and we're going to try to gather them in, but all of you are invited Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, to come and spend some time just thinking about how do we pray together as a family. If we really want to see God change some things, if we really want to see violence come down and, and, and just the worry that our communities live in now be filled with peace, it's going to have to happen in so Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, think about that next week. Come join us. Saturday night, we're going we're gonna to worship. We're, gonna, we're also going to focus more on prayer that night. And then Sunday morning, we're going to have a guy named Corey Jones lead us. And his topic is the next great opportunity. He's really convinced that God's about to do some really good things. And if we have our eyes open to it, we can get on board at the ground level. So be thinking about all those things. Uh, Tomorrow, we start this Festival of Life thing. Um, one of my other favorite human beings, Shane Lima from Pawtucket, is going to be around. You are welcome to come tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, for our opening ceremonies. And then 7 o'clock on Saturday night is our closing ceremonies. Shane's going to be sharing in all of those times. And Friday morning chapel, he and his wife, Alini, are going to be sharing. You're not going to want to miss those times, so... You're welcome. Thanks, Stretch. Yeah, you can thank Stretch. Um, one other piece about Spring Awakening. Um, we all know we live in this place, in this culture, where we're dealing with, we're hearing about the opioid crisis, right, and the effect of addiction uh, in people's lives. And so next week, opening our Spring Awakening services will be uh, Teen Challenge. They were here last year. It was one of our favorite services. They're going to share in chapel next Wednesday. This will be the testimonies of, of young men who are in the program. 
They'll also be leading us in worship for that entire time. My family has been deeply impacted by the ministry of Teen Challenge. I'm looking over here at the Bells. We know that their family has also been significantly impacted by the ministry of Teen Challenge. So that will kind of kick off our Spring Awakening services next week. We also have on April 17th our baptism service. This is going to be our final VIA chapel service of the semester. We want it to be a celebration, right? A declaration sharing what God has been doing among us this year. If you have a story, perhaps uh, you've already been baptized, but maybe you want to reaffirm that baptism, what it has meant to you this year. Maybe God has done, done something new in your life this year, we want to include that in this celebration service. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, next week on Monday is Jack Connell's first day of work. <laughs> on April 1st, I'm not going to back off of this. I mean, this is our once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Our president comes to work on April Fool's Day for the first day. We can't let it pass by, people. Okay? Get creative. He, he's a good, he has a good spirit, right? He'll be up for it. If not, I won't be your chaplain next year. So, there we go. <laughs> All right, let's continue worshiping. Would you stand with me?
heartbeat of my life is to worship in your light. Cause your glory is so beautiful. Cause your glory is so
Will you pray with me? God, we just thank you for the opportunity to come and to be in your presence. Uh, we thank you for the rest that we find there. Thank you for meeting us here today. Continue to speak to us. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Well, welcome to chapel today. This is our Fusion Chapel for this semester. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I direct the Fusion program. It's something that's a lot of fun that I get to do. Um, and I get to share in some really significant moments for students and for our leaders. Um, I've had some very significant moments leading this program. Um, so for those of you who don't know what Fusion is, we send our students all over the U.S. and the, the world um, with the hope that they would experience a culture that is different than their own. Um, and in, in that experience, we would learn something about each other and about God through that. Um, so just like we would hope that you'd experience God in this setting in chapel or at late night or FCA or Finer's Fire, we hope that these trips are a chance for you to encounter God um, and to see firsthand the activity and the work of God that's happening all over the world. Um, and so our trips are often very different. They span a wide array of topics and experiences. But I think the one thing that really is always common is that in some way we are dislocated from our comforts, our schedule. Sometimes it's just being dislocated from our regular routine. We take our spring break and we don't do homework or nap. We go, you know, to San Diego, to Tijuana, to Puerto Rico. Um, so sometimes it is that physical dislocation. Sometimes it is just a, a change of scenery, um, your, your different schedule. That some, it's something about it that makes us more attuned sometimes to what God is doing around us. We're paying attention more. We're listening to how he's speaking. And then often when we come back, we're also a little bit more attuned or receptive to what he's doing um, in our ordinary day-to-day -day lives. And so that's one piece of these trips that are, that's really awesome. One thing in particular that often really changes us with these trips and inspires us is not anything that we do or we bring, um, but the stories that we hear and the people that we meet. And there are so many people that have been willing on these trips to invite us into their stories to tell us this is what God is doing in Puerto Rico, in Tijuana, um, Here's a little bit of what he's done in my own life. And those are the things that we bring home and that really change us and inspire us um, and really just pull at our hearts. And so in this chapel today, you're not going to hear stories of, you know, we did this on Monday and this on Tuesday and Wednesday. You're going to hear stories of people that we met and the ways that God has worked in their lives because that is what we hope to bring home on these trips. And so today you're going to hear from three students. First, we'll hear from Julia Cuthbert who went to Puerto Rico. Uh, our team went to Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. It's been many months, and the locals there are still working to repair their homes and their businesses and their churches. So we went um, as an encouragement to them to, to tell them that we're there for them, we're praying for them, we hear their stories, we remember them, we haven't forgotten them, um, and we know what they're experiencing. And we helped as much as we could. Um, and then we're also going to hear from Eli and Austin, who traveled to San Diego and worked on the border there at Tijuana. Um, 
and they learned a little bit about what's going on with the immigration process there. They heard stories from all sides of that. They, they went with the intention to learn about peacemaking and what's being done at the border to make peace and to gain some skills to bring back to the Northeast um, to be everyday peacemakers in whatever that looks like. So we're going to hear some stories about that. Julia, do you want to come? Give it up for Julia. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Um, my name is obviously Julia Cuthbert, and this spring break, I was given the opportunity to go to Puerto Rico alongside Sam Bernardi and Rachel Bork and with our fearless leader, Emily Ludwig. Um, going into this trip, I think we were all excited, uh, a little nervous. We expected to do a lot of work there, and we did. Uh, we cleaned up a beach. Uh, we painted church walls. We cleared away vines with machetes. They actually let us use machetes. <laughs> um, but the biggest part of our trip was the relationship building. Every person that we met managed to impact our lives in some way, and every conversation we had opened our eyes to a fuller community of God. And of the numerous people that we met, the one person who we all agreed was the most influential was our driver on hell, who's in this picture right here with Sam. Um, so our group combined with some of the kids from Trevecca actually had to travel in two vans at a time. And we had about like three or four different people driving us. But whenever we had the option, we would always ride with Angel because, well, first we thought he was the best driver. And second of all, he was also super cool and fun to hang out with. When we first met him, though, he was really reserved, kind of a little shy. Um, he didn't really chat with us unless we asked him a question. Um, and he is about 23, so he was kind of close to our age, but wasn't really close to us. But throughout the week, throughout several car rides, and throughout working at his own church, Catania, we managed to break through his walls and get to know him. Actually, I should mention that Sam and Rachel were the two funniest people in our group, and if it wasn't for them, he might never have opened up to us because they were the ones who were consistently making him laugh. In our time with him, though, we learned that Angel had a crush on a girl at his church. They're actually dating now, so good for him. Um, he sings when he drives, but only if other people are singing a little bit louder than he is. Uh, he loves to tease people. We would make fun of him, and he would make fun of us almost all the time. When we went on our zip line, I think every five minutes we were going, are you scared? Are you scared? Are you scared? Are you? It was so, it was funny. <laughs> but we realized that he had a really strong relationship with Christ and a really good servant's heart. I remember one day we asked how he had enough free time to be able to drive us pretty consistently every day and also to be able to work at his church. And Angel explained that after Hurricane Maria, he started helping Catania with rebuilding and reconstruction. There was a need to put up new walls, repair the roof, repaint all the buildings. So at first he was just helping with that. And then he started helping with the youth group because he was there late enough to help out. And then he started helping out at the church's tutoring center. 
And then he worked their vacation Bible school. And pretty soon, he realized that he was getting very involved with the ministry of the church. And he loved it. And after years of following the same routine and following his own plan, Angel realized that God was calling him into a life of ministry. And as soon as he realized that, he quit his regular job and started working for the church. Now he's training and taking classes to become a full-time pastor. It hasn't been very easy for him since he made this decision, but we could tell that there was no place he would rather be. Serving the church truly gave Angel joy. Learning his story and seeing his dedication to pursuing God's call in his life, it really inspired us. His trust in God led him to take a huge leap of faith, a leap that he's still trying to work out, but a leap that he didn't hesitate on making. I know that I've tried to follow God through everything, but I think it's so easy to stay in my own bubble where I feel safe. On this trip, however, not only were we forced outside of our comfort zone, but I also met someone who got rid of his own. I think that we can all learn something from a life like that. And I know that all four of us are glad that we got to go on this trip and learn it firsthand. So thank you. All right, so I'm going to skip introductions because I got a lot to say. Um, <laughs> when I was first asked to speak in chapel, I was not surprised, perhaps, but amused. Anyone who's known me for longer than about an hour knows that I have strong opinions, and our trip surrounds a topic that I am, let's say, passionate about, and perhaps with opinions that people may balk at. About half my church, maybe? There is a phrase that I found while desperately trying to write other papers that sums up my journey of gaining knowledge on this trip. In Latin, because it makes it sound more formal and makes me sound smarter than I actually am, in inceptum finis est, in the beginning is the end. The first place we went to with Global Immersion was Friendship Park to meet with Dr. Jamie Gates and a student named Nohemi Hernandez. Dr. Gates, a professor at Point Loma Nazarene, spoke to us about the year of Jubilee and about forgiving debts. And while his is a story I could talk about for ages, Nohemi's is the one I wanted to focus on. Nohemi is an incredibly skilled photographer whose parents brought her into the United States when she was two years old. When she applied to college, she got into a prestigious art college with a full ride and was immediately and matter-of-factly told that she could not go by her parents because when they brought her over into America for a better life, they didn't have the papers to do so. And because of this, Nohemi couldn't go to college and achieve her dreams. But there was a program, known now as DACA, that Nohemi could apply for that would allow her to have a student visa, but only if she gave the government $500 with the application. And in addition, the status of her family while she applied for this visa was not protected. And if she was rejected for her, this visa, her status would also come to light. However, Nohemi was lucky and was granted a visa and helped other students to apply for DACA. This changed, however, when DACA was taken away. Even though she was working two full-time jobs and one part-time job and spent most of her time not at work or school in her car, she was suddenly thrown into turmoil, losing one job and having her documentation thrown into jeopardy. 
Luckily, though, a visa her mother had applied for in 2009 finally came through, and Nuhemi was able to retain her other two jobs. But that relief only came in January 29th of this year. After we went to Mexico and spoke with Im both immigrants who had been deported and immigration advocates, which overlapped very often, we came back and spoke with Border Patrol and Enrique Morones, the founder and director of Border Angels in Friendship Park. And that was frustrating, I'll admit. But it surprised me that even though Border Patrol works with the agencies that arrested Border Angels volunteers, Border Angels would often work with Border Patrol to locate and rescue people who got lost in the desert or who needed medical or other care. Even though Mr. Morones was very clearly opposed to what they were doing, his organization actively worked with Border Patrol. And additionally, when we asked Border Patrol what they needed, instead of a wall, Agent Greedy and Agent Gonzalez said that they needed more people that were de dedicated to protecting America, not to punishing immigrants. I think the most important thing that I took away, or rather that smacked me in the face as I stubbornly tried not to acknowledge it, is that we are all so human. We are all human and we are all hurting, and yes, some of us use that hurt to hurt other people. It feels like an endless cycle. But in the midst of that, I'm reminded of a game called The Evolution of Trust by Nikki Cage. It's an online interactive game and it speaks on how we trust others using the prisoner's gambit. It talks about how there are types of trust that we give and there's a specific type of trust that ultimately wins the prisoner's gambit against every other type, the copy kitten. The copy kitten, as opposed to its counterpart, the copycat, forgives if it is swindled the first time in the gambit. It's about forgiving and trying to let relationships grow, acknowledging hurt, because without acknowledgement, the hurt will never be fixed, but letting things grow and creating a new circle, creating a new friendship park. Thank you. Got my papers. We were, when we were in the Tijuana portion of our fusion trip, we met dozens of people in the three days that we were there. We heard many stories of mothers and fathers who brought their small children across the border to give their little ones better opportunities in America than which those are available in Mexico, in Central America, much like Noemi. One of these mothers is Yolanda. Yolanda first came to America to give her children those better opportunities. She came in on a tourist visa, bringing her two children in hand. As soon as Yolanda was in America, she began to get hard at work. She came in on a tourist visa, blah, 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 lost my place. As Yolanda was in America, she began to get hard at work, working her way into a managerial position at a fast food restaurant. She worked, she paid her taxes, and raised her children as a single mother for 17 years in America before we, she was detained and deported for working on her tourist visa, which you're not legally allowed to do. While Yolanda was deported, her children were not. They remained in America. Being unable to be there for her children and getting news that she was banned from returning to the U.S. for life, Yolanda entered a state of depression. She, for several years, Yolanda was depressed and addicted to alcohol because of this. 
Yet one day, she woke up and thought, I have to do something. So she found her courage and began to search if there were communities of deported mothers she could plug into. What Yolanda ended up finding was a Facebook group called Dreamers Moms, which is a Facebook page that's still open today, and if you would like to go look at it, you can. Dreamers Moms, at the time, was a way for mothers who had successfully immigrated to America to connect, but through Yolanda, their mission began to expand. Yolanda has helped Dreamers Moms become an organization for deported mothers that tries to find legal solutions to get them back to America and back to their families, to provide them therapy, and to help them create care packages that these mothers can send to their children so that they can feel just a little bit closer to them. Dreamer, Dreamers Moms helps moms all across Mexico, but the majority of mothers choose to live in border cities like Tijuana, even if they're not from one of these border cities. They do this because it's the closest they can legally be to America, which makes it feel like they're close to their children. Yolanda sometimes visits the beach near San Diego, where there's a view of the city because she says, it feels like I'm breathing the same air that they're breathing, because it feels like she's saving the same air that her children are breathing. Her story was so moving, the entire time of so moved that I almost broke down into tears. Yolanda's story breaks my heart, yet shows her beauty and resilience to come back from such difficult circumstances and to help form such an influential organization. Miguel was one of countless children that was brought over when he was still young and grew up in America. He always thought that America was his home, yet he was deported as a young man to Tijuana. When the judge issued his deportation and saw Miguel's tears, the judge said, why are you crying, young man? You're going back home. What home? Miguel had never been to Mexico a day in his life, yet he was being sent home. By that logic, I should be sent home to Germany. I should feel right at home, right? I should be able to do fine. I mean, my ancestors are from there, which means I must be from there. Let me tell you, though, Germany would not feel like home. I would not know the first thing to do when I arrived. I'd be lost and terrified. Apart from everything I'd ever known, among people I didn't know, I would be praying for the day that I could be coming back to my true home, America. That's how these deportees feel when they're deported to Mexico. To these deportees, America is their home because it's where they feel they belong. I'll leave you with this passage from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34, in which the Lord is speaking to Moses, who had just recently freed God's people, the Israelites, from captivity in Egypt and has delivered them to the promised land. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner, the foreigner, mm, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thank you. Thank you, Julia, um, Eli, and Austin, Poppy, uh, for sharing uh, your stories for sharing your hearts about the trip. 
Um, as I was sitting there listening um, to your stories, I, it really just dawns on me that kind of the, the thread that ties all these stories together uh, is just the importance of recognizing broken communities that are out there. And uh, I feel like here at ENC, we, we learn a lot and talk a lot about the brokenness out in the world, the injustice, and uh, we, we prize social justice. Uh, but as uh, co-leading the trip to San Diego, Tijuana, uh, I also learned another piece of that puzzle that all three of these stories, I think, uh, very, much, very much demonstrate. And that is we can learn, we can study uh, about injustice um, all day long, but until we actually go and build relationships and um, the key word is immerse ourselves in those broken communities, we're not going to know how to really help and contribute to restoration. Um, and that may sound simple, but I think too often we will read a book or we'll discuss social justice, but we don't actually go and live with the people that are broken and understand what their needs are. Um, and so that was a piece of the puzzle that I really helped me to understand. Um, and I appreciate those stories for of going and immersing um, uh, yourselves in whether Puerto Rico or uh, San Diego, Tijuana. Uh, I'm going to say a word of prayer uh, to close this out, and then Noel will um, lead you in the doxology. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, uh, and we thank you for uh, the grace you've given us. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, not only your will for our lives and what you're doing in our lives, but help us to see and hear um, those around us, and give us the courage to step forward and uh, to live in community and to build relationship uh, with the people in our midst, uh, including those who are living in broken contexts. Uh, give us wisdom as we move forward in that endeavor. Uh, and Father, I just uh, ask for your peace and your strength over this student body, over the faculty and staff as we enter this last portion of the semester. In Christ's name, amen. Um, as you stand, I'm just going to actually challenge you all to hold pinkies um, with each other. Um, this is actually something that's done at the border, um, through the border wall at Friendship Park. There's just little slits where people can actually touch pinkies. So instead of just talking about this, let's immerse in this and have a, just an act of doing this together. So this is what people do every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, for about 30 minutes. This is the only kind of interaction they have with their family members. So join me as we sing the doxology. Praise God from...